My name is Emily Jones. I'm the kids director here. And today I am reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and uh, looking forward to diving into God's Word with you this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we do that. Father, we come before you this morning, and just that reality, God, we come before you. God, I want to acknowledge your presence this morning. We don't gather in a room, it's just a bunch of human beings gathering together. We come before you, the living God. God, we want to acknowledge the fact that we need your mercy and grace this morning. And so we ask that in this moment now as we open up your word, God, that you'd have mercy on us. And God, would you give us grace this morning. I pray, God, that you would allow us to receive your word as it's preached this morning, as we look at what you've written to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to receive it in a fresh way this morning. Give us ears to hear it. Give us eyes to see what you want to show us today. We cannot do that apart from your Spirit working in us and working in this time. And so we ask God that your Holy Spirit would do a work today for our good and for your glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I think most of us, uh, especially if you grew up in America, have heard the phrase before, familiarity breeds contempt. The idea that when you are overly familiar with someone or something, that because you have this kind of excessive knowledge of that particular person or particular thing, that you can start to lose some respect for it or for them. For instance, if you know someone really, really well, maybe a friend or a a spouse, you start to take them for granted, maybe don't appreciate them as much as you once did. Or if you're very used to your home or your lifestyle or your way of living, you can get to a place where you're no longer thankful or grateful for that. Well, two weeks ago, we got into Philippians chapter 4, the final chapter in this short but powerful letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to a struggling church. And as we got into this letter, we see that Paul, or sorry, this chapter in this letter, we see that Paul is ending this letter with these final exhortations, these final encouragements, but he's doing so in a very challenging way. It's a chapter also where there's some familiar verses for some of us. And today we come to another set of verses that are sometimes, for some people, too familiar. And because they're too familiar, we can read them, we can breeze past them, not really taking time to consider the significance of what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is seeking to communicate to us, what he's trying to say to us. I know that's been the case for me. As I was reading and studying these verses this week, I I was remembering that these are probably some of the first verses that I ever memorized. But while I don't think that there, while I do think there are some 
cases and it's the truth to the fact that familiarity can breed contempt, I don't think it has to be universally true. As I studied these verses this week, even though they are familiar to me by God's grace, he worked them into my head and heart in a fresh way, and I hope he'll do that for you this morning as well. So as we come to our text today, Paul challenges us and he encourages us as he talks about anxiety, something all of us encounter at varying degrees over our lives and throughout our lives, something our culture talks a whole lot about right now. And my hope today is that by spending time looking at God's Word, being guided by God's Spirit, that He will help you in a lifelong temptation that all of us can have to be anxious, and that He will do so by leading you in the pursuit of a surpassing peace. And so whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, whether you know these verses really well or not, whether you struggle with anxiety a lot or a little, or maybe you're thinking this morning it's impossible to overcome anxiousness at all, I want to invite you to listen this morning as if you're hearing these verses for the first time, because this is God's word to you today. And so let's jump into Philippians 4, and may God bless the preaching of his word. Last week, we looked at just one verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul tells us, commands us, calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And the challenge and the encouragement we saw Paul give us as we looked at this last week is Paul saying that we need to rejoice always in Jesus, not in our circumstances. But then he writes at the beginning of verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This may seem like a little bit of a disconnected statement from rejoice always and what he's about to write, but it's actually a bridge statement between what he's already said, rejoice always, and what he's going to say next. See, Paul is helping us as we seek to live life in a world that is set against Christ. As you and I live life in a world that is set against Jesus' ways and Jesus' people, And so that means sometimes people may ridicule you for following Jesus. They may reject you for following Jesus. They may ignore you when you seek to share Jesus with them. At times, people can be hostile in our world or just plain apathetic towards the good news of Christ. But as you seek to show Jesus, as you seek to share Jesus with others, as you strive to live a life worthy of the gospel, as you strive to be united together in Christ and pursue Jesus, Jesus, the only source of true joy, Jesus, the only source of lasting joy, Paul says, let your reasonableness or your level-headedness or your gentleness be known and seen by those around you. You and I are able to fight for joy and be gentle, not in spite of our circumstances, but in the midst of them, whether they're good or bad, difficult or comfortable, simple or complex. We can do that because of the greatness and gloriousness of who Jesus is and what he's done. So what that means, though, is that Paul isn't trying to communicate to you that there aren't sometimes really challenging circumstances in life. Paul knew that. That's why he says what he says in these next two verses. He knew the temptations and the tendencies of struggling hearts, his included. And so he keeps writing. The beginning of verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. What does it mean to be anxious? Now, first off, I'm not an expert in the field of anxiety. 
and I am not going to answer every question that you could possibly have when it comes to anxiety. And I want to be sensitive because I know this is a complex challenge for many, many people. But what we can see at a basic level from what Paul is speaking about when it comes to anxiety, if we're going to define that, anxiety is worry about anything. It's worry about anything. But most often, worry creeps up. Anxiety happens when we're confronted with uncertainty and the unknown. And so that could be about something that has happened, something that is happening, or something that might happen or will happen. And when we're anxious, when that worry starts to develop in our lives, we tend to focus in on whatever the object of our worry is. And we have a really difficult time thinking about anything else besides that, whatever that happens to be. Anxiety is harassing, and anxiety is distracting. But the question for us is, why does Paul bring this up now? He's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's writing this letter to encourage them in the midst of their struggles and the challenges they're facing as followers of Jesus and in this distracting world that they have uh, to live life in. So why is he writing about anxiety now? It's because anxiety robs us of joy in Jesus. It robs us of joy in Jesus. And I want us to notice something that I think we can easily overlook when we're reading this text, whether we're familiar with it or not. Just like his call to rejoice in the Lord always, this is a command. The command that Paul intends for us to obey. Do not be anxious. But in this text isn't just a command to not be anxious, but also what to do in the midst of it. But before we move on, I want to invite us just to think about anxiety a little bit differently. Now, if you've driven uh, in a car that's, that's somewhat recently new, maybe in the last few years, a lot of new cars have a lot of crazy features to them. You can look down at the dashboard of this new car, and there's all kinds of little lights that will come on to let you know what's going on with your car. Now, it doesn't just tell you that your gas is low. You can see that your gas is low, and it'll tell you about how many miles you have left before you're going to be on empty. A lot of cars now have tire pressure sensors, so if one of your tires is low, it'll, a light will go off to tell you that your tire pressure is low, and in some cars even tell you which tire your tire pressure is low in. There's lane assist and emergency braking systems, all kinds of things that cars have now intended to keep you safe as you drive this massive machine down the road. But what if you have all of that great technology, but you never pay attention to it? If your gas light comes on and you just ignore it, eventually you're going to run out of gas. If your tire pressure light comes on and you just ignore it and you're going 70 miles an hour down the road and your tire goes completely flat, it could be disastrous. See, indicator lights are there to be a help to let you know that something you can't see is going on and needs to have attention be given to it. As embodied souls, both physical and spiritual, God has wired us with different indicator lights as well. And anxiety is an indicator light. It's an indicator light that something is off within us. But just like any indicator light in your car, if you ignore that light of anxiety and worry, the results could be disastrous. See, don't be anxious isn't a harsh command. Paul's not communicating that to you in a way that's unloving or uncaring. In fact, I think what he's doing is giving you an invitation to freedom. 
daily, moment by moment, freedom and peace. But see, this command, it isn't just for a few people. Paul isn't writing this to Joe at the church at Philippi who struggles with anxiety. Or Sue, who's in the Tuesday night community group, who struggles with anxiety. No, he's writing this to the whole church. Which communicates to us that he believes that everyone in that community can at times struggle with anxiety, uncertainty of the future as they seek to faithfully follow Jesus. And so in God's providence, that means that he's writing to all of us too. See, anxiety is not something that affects weak people. It's something that can affect all people. In the past, generally speaking, I would have said I'm not an an anxious person. I don't really struggle with anxiety or worry. But that changed a few years ago during a particularly challenging part of my life when I not only was recognizing that there was anxious thoughts and worry within my life, I was actually experiencing physical manifestations of anxiety and increased heart rate and trouble sleeping and just overwhelming thoughts that I couldn't think of anything else besides this particular challenge and struggle that was before me. But in that, what I also recognized is is that I probably wasn't as self-aware as I thought I was before that that indicator light had gone off at other times in my life and I had just chosen to ignore it, not pay attention to it. Whether you have anxious thoughts and worry that happen every once in a while or often for you, the truth and promise remains. The command stands. Do not be anxious, but there is freedom available to you. So what does anxiety indicate for us? Well, I think it's important to note that there are things that should prompt legitimate concern within us. Maybe for you, it's your health, that there's something going on with your health right now, and that's a legitimate concern. Or there's a brother or sister in Christ right now who you are concerned, legitimately concerned about because they're wandering away from Jesus. Or maybe, as Paul says and himself mentions, there's worry even for the health and well-being of all the churches. Paul says he has that for churches that he has ministered in and to. And sometimes with some of those things, we can take steps to figure things out. If you're having a health issue, you can go to a medical professional and seek help and insight and guidance. If you're seeing a brother or sister wandering away from Jesus, you can go to them. You should go to them and speak to them about that. Paul has legitimate concern for the churches, and so he's writing to them to express that concern to them. But legitimate concern moves to the level of anxiety and to the full-blown worry that Paul is calling us, commanding us not to have. It moves to that point when we fixate on the problem instead of trusting God with the outcome. We fixate on the solution to the problem instead of trusting God with the outcome. See, for a lot of us, anxiety and worry creep up in a negative way Because in those moments, we recognize we're not in control. That you may not be able to affect the outcome in the way that you would hope. You may not know how to fix the problem. Or you just don't know what's actually going to happen. But what the presence of anxiety most often indicates indicates isn't that you're utterly faithless, but that your faith is under attack. See, the enemy knows this and he fuels lies about God. And speaking things that aren't true about God in the world that we live in offers you all kinds of alternatives and all kinds of shortcuts to certainty and peace. And so when there's circumstances or situations that are challenging or uncertain, we can be tempted to believe that God's not in control. 
that God doesn't care about us and doesn't really know what's going to happen in our life. He doesn't even know what he's doing. That God isn't working for our good and his glory in our lives in the world. Anxiety can be an indicator that we're putting our hope in something or someone else instead of in God. That's why Paul is telling us very clearly, do not be anxious. A friend of mine once asked me when I was in a a difficult spot, a challenging point in life, he said, hey, listen, what, what if God took everything away? What if he removed everything? What if you had nothing left except him? Would you be okay? Would you be okay? That's a hard question. And the honest answer is sometimes no. No, I I don't think I would be okay. Because sometimes I place my identity in other things. I find my value in what I do or who I know or situation or lifestyle that I'm in. Sometimes my hope is in a false god of my own making. And when those things happen, I need to repent. But it's the kindness of the Lord that leads leads me to repentance. That calls me back to himself. See, the presence of anxiety is an indicator that I might be struggling to trust and believe all that God promised to be for me in Jesus. Our God is loving, and he is patient, and he is kind, and he is long-suffering. Our God is full of mercy, and he's full of grace. He is steadfast. Our God is, is unwavering. Our God is unchanging. Our God is eternal and magnificent. Our God is transcendent, high above the heavens, yet imminent at the same time, so close and involved in the details of our lives. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells you and me that all of his promises about who he is and what he's going to do find their yes and amen in Jesus. That if you are doubting and worried that God is faithful, if you are doubting and worried that God cares, you can look to Christ on the cross who took on all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your unbelief and all of your struggle and you can look to the empty tomb and you can say yes and amen. Yes and amen. God does care. See, when the indicator light of anxiety and worry goes off, what if we saw it as an invitation to grace? An invitation to grace. Because when that indicator light goes off, it's pointing to something, or better yet, to someone. See, anxiety reminds us of our humanness. It reminds us that we exist in this time where the new heavens and the new earth have not yet come to be, and so troubles press in on us. But when troubles press in, it gives us opportunity to cry out to the only immortal one, our risen Savior, who gives rest and comfort, which is exactly what Paul calls us to. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anxiety and worry can manifest itself in all kinds of ways about all kinds of things. It's why Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. There are no caveats There are no exceptions to this. He doesn't say don't be anxious about most things, but some things are okay. He's saying don't be anxious about anything. 
whether it's big or small, personal or communal. And so this statement is not a a statement of value or significance. Paul isn't saying to you, don't be anxious because the thing you're anxious or worried about isn't worth being worried about or anxious about. He's not saying get over it. Whatever that thing is for you is significant. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. It doesn't matter what anybody else tells you about it. For you right now, it feels significant. So Paul isn't saying, don't worry about it, just kind of brush it off. What he's saying is no matter what it is, don't remain in a place of worry, but instead come to the Father with everything. Bring all of the details of your life before him. Bring all of the circumstances of your life before him. See, Paul calls us to prayer in the midst of of our worry because prayer is an expression of dependence. Prayer is an expression of trust. It orients your life once again toward God, your creator and your sustainer. Prayer is another expression of your creatureliness. It's another expression of your humility. Coming with prayer and supplications and making your request known to God is an invitation to cry out to God. To come before him and be honest about everything in your life. To come before him in all the rawness of emotion. To come before him in a real way. I can be anxious about life. Thinking about my kids or my family or finances. I I can be anxious about our church. About what God's doing. Is he going to lead us in the way that we need to go? Are we going to be paying attention enough? Is he going to be working in this person's life? Is he going to help this person? Is he going to bring this person to repentance? But what's more concerning to me isn't those legitimate concerns that can creep up. What's more concerning to me is how often I don't go to the Lord in prayer first. That when I start to think of those things and my mind starts to spin on those things, that I can spend a whole lot more time worrying and figuring things out. And in God's providence, as he often does, as I'm studying a text on anxiousness this week, gave me lots of opportunities to apply the text. But it was interesting to me and convicting to me that in the midst of me being anxious and worried about things even this week that I thought, am I actually going to listen to what Paul calls me to do or am I going to try and muscle up on my own, figure some more things out, make some more phone calls, think more on my own? Because see, when I don't cast my burdens on him, when I don't bring my anxious thoughts before him, I act like I'm self-sufficient. I act like I don't need him. It's functional atheism. It's unbelief. I act like the glorious message of the gospel is good for me on Sunday, but not on Monday when I get another email or a text message or find out about another difficulty or challenge or see my kids struggling with something on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day of the week. And in those moments, I can start to turn to other things to give me freedom, other things to give me peace from my worry. But why would I believe that the God who created everything out of nothing can't deal with the details of my life? What about you? What what burden or worry are you holding on to right now that you're not actively and regularly bringing before the Lord who cares for you? Is it maybe an upcoming test that you have in school? 
Maybe your kids aren't sleeping well at night and you're anxious or worried about that. Maybe you have a big presentation at work or in school, a dating relationship, a health issue that you're dealing with, waiting on the results from your doctor, figuring out how to make ends meet, your future, your family's future. It could be a myriad of things. But you know, our Savior speaks to this also. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, like Paul, says, Don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about the basic details of your life because, why? Because your Father cares for you. So Jesus tells us, you can look to the birds of the air, you can look to the lilies of the field and see how God cares for them. How will he not care for you even more, image bearer? Beloved child who's loved by the Father. Jesus calls us instead of worrying to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus invites us in Matthew 6 to freedom by believing that God cares for you more than anything else. But here's a key thing I want us to see in this. As we read verse 6, as we see this call to not be anxious, but instead to pray about everything, that it isn't the act of praying that makes you feel better. It's who you're praying to. If we're going to fight the daily temptations to worry, we must have an elevated view of God, an elevated view of his holiness. And it's the indicator light of anxiety that shows you that you maybe have strayed from that. I think that's why Paul says to pray with thanksgiving. To pray with thanksgiving as we bring our worries and requests before the Father. Thanksgiving provides an opportunity for you and for me to remember and reflect on the faithfulness of God. And you can come with thanks even in the midst of the most anxious moments just because of the simple fact that you can come to him at all. So I want to give you three practical ways to help you do this, three ways that have been helpful for me. And I'd encourage you to write these down because chances are God's going to give you an opportunity this week to apply them. The first thing is this, pray promises. Pray promises. We have God's word given to us. And so we can read God's word. But I encourage you not just to read God's word, but to write God's word down. Post it around your house or your car or your office. Charles Spurgeon, a a well-known preacher from the 1800s in England, struggled with depression. He struggled with anxiety. And so in the midst of those moments, he would actually go to a book that had listed out tons and tons of promises of God. He wasn't even at the point where he could flip through the pages of Scripture. He just went to those promises listed out already for him to be reminded of them. His mind brought back to them. His heart brought back to them. So take those promises and place them in a spot that you'll see it, that you'll read it. Putting God's Word visually before you, striving to hide it in your heart is essential in battling anxious and worry. And so when anxious thoughts creep up, we can come again to the promises of God and we can pray them back to Him. And we can call on Him to be who He declares to be in His Word. Relentlessly pursuing God through His Word. So you know what to pray. This past Wednesday, Wednesday, I was not having a good morning. I was feeling really anxious and I was very irritated. I was super frustrated. And I read through the Psalms regularly, and in God's providence, I was in Psalm 121, one of the songs of ascent. 
If you want to go to the promises of God, read the Songs of Ascent. There's a group of psalms that are written, I forget where they start and end, but somewhere around 120 to 135. And this is some of what Psalm 121 says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I read that this week and I said, man, this is God's word to me. And so when I feel anxious, when I feel that anxiousness is rising up within me, when I'm focusing in on that, I could come before the Lord in prayer and say, God, where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the might of mountains or hills. It doesn't come from a situation or a thing. It doesn't come from another person, and it certainly doesn't come from within me. It comes from you who made heaven and earth. It comes from you, my God, who does not sleep or slumber on my life. It comes from you, God, who goes and keeps my going out and my coming in. And that's just one set of promises in Psalm 121. This book is full of promises, friends. Full of them. Colossians 1.17, speaking about Jesus, it says Jesus goes before all things and in him all things hold together. Romans chapter 8 tells us lots and lots of promises. If you're feeling condemned and anxious about that, it says if you're in Christ, there is no longer condemnation for you. It tells you you've been adopted into the family of God, but it also says you're going to suffer and have struggles and difficulties. But in the midst of that, God's going to bring restoration. And even in moments when you don't feel like you can pray, the Spirit prays on your behalf as you groan out in your suffering. And it ends with saying nothing can separate you from God's love. Jesus himself declares to you in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. In Matthew chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus declares to you, I will be with you always to the end of the age. But these promises, they, they, they don't tell you that everything was always going to be awesome in your life. These promises don't communicate to you that you're not going to have difficulty or struggle if you just have enough faith. That's a false gospel. No, in God's word, he speaks peace to you in the midst of everything you're going through. But what he tells you in his promises is that no injury, no illness, no accident, no loss, no difficulty, no distress will ever be able to separate you from God's power and presence and purpose in your life. And so when you're feeling anxious or worried about anything, you can come to the Lord with everything knowing that he is faithful and true and ever-present in your life. His word declares that to you. And this is what sets us apart in our battle against anxiety and worry from the rest of the world. Our, our world is always and continually trying to find ways to not be anxious and not be worried. But Eugene Peterson writes, the Christian life is going to God. We travel the same roads as everyone else. We shop at the same stores and pay the same prices. We fear the same dangers as our neighbors and are exposed to the same pressures and the same distresses of life. We are buried in the same ground. 
The difference, Peterson says, is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. Did you catch something that we skipped over in verse 5? Look at it again. What does the end of verse 5 say? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He is active and present. And so a better way to read verse 6 is to start at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, I I knew these verses before. I was familiar with them. I had memorized verses 6 and 7, but missed the end of verse 5. But what verse 5 does, the end of verse 5 does with the end of verse 6 is it sandwiches Paul's command to not be anxious between God and God. He goes before you. He is always with you, even when things are uncertain and difficult. That is a promise. Pray those truths. Pray those promises back to him. So that's the first thing that we can do. Pray promises, but also, secondly, pray specifically. Pray specifically. Bring your specific requests to him and before him. So I think too often we pray in generalities, in vagueness. God, I need your help. God, help me to have joy in these situations. Help me to not feel worried or anxious. But we don't get specific. And I can struggle with this as well, but I've been trying to practice praying specifically more often. God, I'm worried about this particular person in our community who right now is struggling to believe the gospel. I'm having a hard time with this particular situation in my family. I'm feeling anxious about my kids and what's going on in their life and a particular struggle that they're having. God, I'm feeling anxious about preaching about anxiety. Like praying specifically, bringing those specific requests before him. And sometimes it's even just stopping in those moments of anxiety and asking God for help to figure out why am I feeling anxious at all? I feel it, but I'm not necessarily thinking about it. Let me just pause and stop. God, help me to know the specific thing right now that this indicator light of anxiety is pointing to. But as you come and pray specifically, you don't come just praying that God would fix whatever the thing is that you're worried about, but that he would help you to trust him in the midst of it. See, I think that's key. Tell him the specifics, but trust him with the specifics and the outcome. Trust him with how you're feeling in the midst of it. Be honest and real before our living God. So pray promises. Pray specifically. And third and finally, pray with others. Anxiety is not something to be endured alone, apart from God or apart from others. Anxiety is not something to be ashamed of, but shared in community. Now, I know sometimes well-meaning brothers and sisters have maybe said to you, if you struggle with anxiety on a regular basis, have said stuff to you like, well, just don't worry about it. Just get over it. You shouldn't feel that way. It's not that big of a deal. And if you've experienced that somewhere else or even in this community, let me say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's been your experience. We can all learn to be better encouragers and listeners, to love one another and be more compassionate. I want us to be a community that comes alongside one another. I want us to be a community that seeks to understand, that listens to one another 
It doesn't just think about how we can fix the situation, but also be a community that then speaks reminders of truth, specifically the character and promises of God, and be a community that prays over and for one another as often as as needed. And so when you're anxious or worried, ask your community to pray for you. Ask your community to pray over you and with you. And when you come into the community and bring those things before them, there'll be opportunities in the midst of prayer and conversation where they'll be able to remind you of a promise or show you a promise you maybe didn't know even existed. Pray promises. Pray specifically and pray with others. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but I've, I've done that before. I've prayed, and, I, and I'm still anxious. I still have worry. And, and you're still wrestling with this, and you don't have a lot of peace, and you're not experiencing a lot of freedom. But I want you to notice something from this text. Paul doesn't say to do this once, and then you're done. This isn't a magic pill to be taken. It isn't a microwave experience. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment instruction to be used and applied as often as needed, which means we have to keep coming before the Lord as often as we need to. And I mean, literally, like if you're feeling anxious and worried and you come and say, God, I'm recognizing this and I'm praying your promises and I'm praying specifically, and then 30 seconds later, you still feel that way. The invitation is still open for you to come before the Lord as often as you need to, to come before the Father of grace and help and peace. I mean, this week for me, when I was struggling and I'm seeking to apply this text to my own life, I had to keep praying. I had to keep seeking peace. I had to keep saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Some of you have been feeding your worry for years feeding it for years. And so it's going to take time. It's going to take patience and it's going to take perseverance to keep seeking peace, to starve your worry and pursue your Savior. See, friends, just like we have to fight for joy in the midst of a distracting world, we have to battle anxiety and unbelief. And Paul gives us this command, but even in this text, there's a promise. Look at verses 6 and 7 together. The end of verse 5 to verse 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you notice Paul doesn't say that when you bring everything before God, that he will... Take whatever's causing your anxiety or worry and he'll change your circumstances. He doesn't say that when you bring your request before God that the promise for you is that God's going to fix everything and make it all better or even just tell you what's going to happen. I think sometimes we just, if God would just let us know how this is going to work out. Paul doesn't say that's what the promise is. The promise he gives to you is that he promises peace. But not just peace. He promises the peace of God. Not the peace of this world, the peace of God, the shalom of God, the fullness and the wholeness and the harmony that God in him, the Trinity, exists within. He offers you and gives you that. And in the peace of God that surpasses understanding and guards your heart and your mind in Christ. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, we learn that Jesus is our peace, that in him we have restoration, that in Christ we have reconciliation, that in Jesus and through Jesus, God will finish that restoring and reconciling work. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in him. Our hearts and our minds, though, are often what wander away from believing God. They become fixated and focused on what is happening or what might happen around us. Our hearts and our minds, they chase after other solutions and shortcuts. But what Paul's saying is that when you pray, God gives you a peace that surpasses understanding because it's a peace that surpasses your ability to comprehend all the details. It's a peace that surpasses understanding because it's a peace that surpasses your ability to fix the situation. It's a peace that passes understanding because it enables you to trust that our God, our God who is in the heavens and does all that he pleases is good and faithful. The peace of God allows you to be confidently content no matter what's going on in your life. When we pray promises, when we pray specifically, and when we pray with others, God guards our hearts and minds. I love that. He guards them. He protects them. He puts a fortress around them so that they're not assaulted and overwhelmed with uncertainty, but instead are captivated by the glory and grace given to you in the person and work of Jesus. There is no lasting peace in this life apart from him, the one who was and is and is to come. So friends, in moments of uncertainty and difficulty, and we will have many of those, in moments when joy is being sucked out of you, when you are tempted to fear or worry or be anxious, bring everything, every detail before your living and loving God, seeking the surpassing peace that only he provides to guard your heart and your mind, knowing that he cares for you. The gift to us from God is being able to take communion in each week because in it we're reminded that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus himself tells us, eat the bread. It's a picture of my body broken for you and drink the cup. It's a picture of my blood shed for you for all of us so that we might be forgiven of our unbelief and our sin and promised a glorious future without worry. Even in giving us this meal, he was telling us not to worry, but to find rest in him. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should eat the drink, eat the cup, eat the cup, eat the bread and drink the cup often. And we should do it often as we eat this meal. We do it until the Lord comes again. He will come again. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come forward praying, come forward repenting, come forward rejoicing, come forward and receive this gift of grace to help you to remember and be refreshed in the faithfulness of God and experience peace that surpasses understanding even in this moment. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're grateful that you're here this morning And maybe you struggle with anxiety or maybe you struggle with worry, but what we want to ask you to do this morning is not come forward to take communion. We want you to take Christ. Because as I said, Jesus is the only source of joy and the only source of lasting peace. And so we want you to trust in Christ, that you turn away from finding your hope or your peace or your joy in anything else besides him. 
Pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, confess that to the Lord this morning. And there's a room full of people that would love to journey with you in that. So let somebody else around you know that too. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. Take a piece of bread and one of the cups to drink. And what Christ our Savior has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come, we come before you as a often anxious and worried people. God, we come before you and we pray that you would help us to trust you in the midst of uncertainty, the midst, in the midst of difficulty and challenge that we'll experience in this life. Jesus, you told us that we're going to have trial and tribulation and difficulty, but you also told us, God, that you overcome the world. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that you would bring relief, that you would bring surpassing peace even in this moment for those that are struggling with anxious thoughts and worry. But God, I pray that as we walk out of here this week and go about our our, our daily lives, as we encounter opportunities to be worried as that indicator light of anxiety goes off in our life, God, would you allow us to press deeper and figure out what it is and why we're feeling that way and to bring all that before you, everything. God, help us to pray promises. Help us to pray specifically. Help us to invite others in that we might pray with them and be prayed for by them. God, we thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves, that you declare who you are and what you're doing. Help us to trust that. Help us to believe that. Lord, help us with our unbelief when we don't. We confess that to you. We ask for your grace and ask God that you would do a work that only you can do. Give us the peace of God in Christ. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the good news that he has come and will come again to make all things new. We pray this in his name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.